Mike and Rebecca Casey have what is believed to be one of the first zero fossil fuels orchards in the world. Their forest lodge orchard, growing mainly cherries, is in Cromwell, of course, and has no diesel or petrol on site. It has the country's first electric tractor. After selling Mike's startup Grad Connection, which was a network connecting graduates with jobs, to the jobs listing company Seek in 2019, the couple bought a six hectare property with cherry trees in Cromwell. They've since replaced 20 machines running off fossil fuels with electric alternatives. In January 2022, they completed their first harvest where they were able to command a 15% premium compared to other cherries. Next year, they want to grow production by 400% in line with the trees reaching maturity. Mike, it will come as little surprise, has a big interest in the energy transition and is also chief executive of Rewiring Aotearoa, a non-profit dedicated to alternatives to fossil fuel energy. He's in Cromwell. Good morning. Good morning, Catherine. How are you? Good, thank you. Take us on a tour of your vehicle shed and elsewhere. What's gone? What's replaced it? Yeah, sure. So we actually started, we, we bought the, the land that was bare land that was uh, essentially a lucerne paddock and had a few sheep on it um, in 2019 and converted it to a cherry orchard by planting 9,300 cherry trees. And by starting with a blank canvas, we essentially bought 20 machines that are required to operate and run our, our farm and household. Um, and those 20 machines we just had the goal very early on of, of looking for the electric option uh, where it was available. And I think just right place, right time, ended up in a situation where we could source a lot of this technology within New Zealand, um, a lot of this technology from around the world, and in a few cases, build this technology ourselves to essentially put together a fully commercial, uh, profitable cherry orchard um, that runs on no fossil fuels at all, which, is, which has been a, a dream outcome, really. Well, let's get into the geek stuff. You use golf carts powered by solar, and your forklift is, what, nearly 40 years old. Uh, tell us about these, please. That's right, yeah. So um, we one of our first pictures we made, actually, was a lot of orchardists, when we arrived, were using quad bikes or petrol side-by-sides to, to get around their orchard, and, and we were looking for an electric option. And, of course, we are largely on flat land. We've got about 25 kilometres of cherry trees, and... Um, my orchard manager, Ewan, came up with the idea of uh, looking at the golfing industry, which had solved the problem of uh, driving around, you know, flat land over long distances for for quite some some years uh, using electric technology. And we ended up uh, importing a couple of golf carts from uh, directly from China with off-road tyres, a souped-up motor and suspension, and um, had put them to use on farm. And, uh, yeah, they've worked really, really well. Um, the other addition that we made, we did our own wiring and, and put a couple of solar panels on the roofs of those golf carts so that uh, the batteries would re- remain charged right throughout the day because often they'd be sitting still in the orchard while we were doing tree work or, or something to that effect and uh, constantly just being topped up by the uh, large amount of central Otago sunlight hours that we have. The forklift is um, was a really interesting purchase. I think a lot of the time we think of electric technology as new and expensive, but this 37-year-old forklift cost me $6,500 on Trade Me, um, came from Dunedin, and um, essentially does exactly what we need to do with a forklift, which is take a 400-kilo uh, bins of cherries and load them onto an electric truck to drive them down to the, uh, to the pack house. So is the forklift electric... Have you converted yes. it? Yes, yeah, it is. <laughs> so, what runs it? Uh, no, so it is. It's an, it, it is electric. It's a thirty-seven-year-old electric forklift. How is it? How is it? Was it never converted? Was it always electric? 
It was always electric. It's got a. It's actually got its original lead acid battery pack in it as well. So I guess in a lot of situations, um, fossil fuel fumes in tight environments like factories and warehouses, um, you know, was something that people didn't want to to have to deal with. So we, for a long time, had electric forklifts. Yeah, in 1986, in fact, we did. Right. Let's get to the main event: the tractor. Now I'm a Massey Ferguson nut from childhood and ever since. So convince me of um, the electric tractor first how it works what powers it does it have any limitations off you go yeah sure so um the first thing is i'm going to find it hard to convince you because i come from a technology background and i had never driven a tractor prior to this tractor that we bought which was uh, a monarch tractor um which came from california it was the 66th tractor ever made in california and the first to be exported out of california uh, it came to the log Cromwell, um, which is super exciting. So they're now a billion-dollar tech startup in, in um, San Francisco that are you know, really starting to go places shipping uh, electric tractors all over the world. It is a viticulture and horticulture tractor, so it's uh, you know designed for those applications. It's not a tractor that's going to be able to be used on high-country sheep stations. Uh, yet it's a 30-horsepower equivalent, although so far – we think it will be able to, just because electric technology is a little bit different, we think it's probably going to uh, do everything that a 70-horsepower tractor uh, diesel equivalent can, can do. So, so it's got a wicking um, great solar exciting. panel on its roof, has it? It's got just a, um, the ones I'm looking at have just got four arms extending up holding the roof. It's not a cabin. It's not a cabin per se. It's open air, but four That's arms right. holding up a solar panel, is it? No, no, it's not a it's not a solar panel. So these, I mean, the the battery in this tractor is probably the size of two and a two two to two and a half, you know, average EVs on the road. It's a really significantly sized um, size battery, and so we charge that using the solar panels uh, on our shed roof um, as well as grid grid power if we need to. Um, but the big thing about it is it is also fully automated. So we're currently training it at the moment to drive up and down our orchard without a driver at all, um, which is going to open up a whole new level of productivity um, for us on farm and hopefully for other viticulturalists and horticulturalists that sort of adopt this technology that we're going to start to move to new levels of productivity when you know you can get the tractor going up and down your 25 kilometres of cherry trees, uh, mowing the lawns at night time while you sleep, for example. Okay, so back to that in a moment. But first, where is that battery located? Uh, so it's in the tractor, in the in the front of in the, the tractor. Uh, yeah, exactly, okay. just underneath. So it puts all the uh, weight at the front. So with the automation, at the moment it can self-drive, can it? What else can it do? Uh, so, well, yeah, it can, you can – they call it a driver-optional tractor, which means I can just use it like a regular tractor. I can put an implement on it. I can drive it around – um, but also, yeah, come, comes with it the, the ability to basically record what it is that you've done and have the tractor do the exact same thing, including operate that implement, um, you know, uh, by itself the next time you run through the orchard. So you basically just record routines is the easiest way of explaining it. Um, and then those routines are just uh, repeated using a combination of uh, GPS and, I guess, uh, computer memory to figure out what it's what it needs to do. How are you using electricity to fight frost, please? It's a nightmare and just, a, you know, orchards live with their hearts in their mouths with that late spring frost or, or summer frost sometimes or a hailstorm that um, wrecks harvests. How are you using it to combat frost? Yeah, so we're, uh, we've got one coming up in a couple of days, which is our late spring frost. We've got these beautiful green fruitlets on the tree now. 
And uh, I think everyone in the regions, uh, you know, somewhat concerned about this upcoming frost. Uh, essentially, we do um, we fight frost in a very similar way. We use frost fighting fans, which you'll see littered up and down the countryside and and main horticulture areas of New Zealand. Um, the only difference is our frost fighting fans are fully electric. So instead of burning thirty to forty liters of diesel now, running a diesel engine which spins a couple of blades, uh, we have an electric motor that ultimately is run by a cable that's fed back to to our switchboard. Um, and on top of that, we also use um, a ground-based water system as well. So if we need to add heat to the orchard, a lot of uh, orchardists and viticulturists will, you know, burn frost pots, which is essentially burning fossil fuels inside these frost pots to put heat out into the orchard. Um, we achieve the same thing by putting water out into the orchard using an electric pump. Um, and when that water freezes, it lets off a heat, uh, latent heat, um, and that provides us with about a, you know, half, half of a degree to one degree lift, which is usually enough to keep the frost... Uh, keep the frost from affecting our, our fruit too badly. So overall power generation, what's the maximum power generation you can generate on a given day if you had all this equipment working at its peak? What's the most you can handle? Yes, yeah, so um, we, I mean, all our machines run at different times, right? And they run at different purposes, uh, for different purposes. So we've got a basically 130 um, for those that know a lot about power, 130 kVA grid connection. Uh, but most of the time in the summer, we're running pretty much everything that we do almost entirely off solar. We've got a 45 kilowatt um, solar array um, and then 120 kilowatt hours with the batteries as well, which stores the surplus solar so that we can uh, we can use it as we need to. You've also come up with some software you're using to buy and sell power, depending on how squeezed the grid is. This is a tricky one in the transition, isn't it? We, we, we're all investing collectively in, a, in an expensive national grid and an expensive uh, local distribution. And then as more and more uh, businesses or households become independent, there's a kind of a trade-off uh, as to how this market's going to work, um, sustaining totally. all of that. So what kind of operations, have, what, kind, what is possible by means of your software and then how responsive are the, is the electricity industry to it? Yeah, so I mean, the first thing um, I'd like to point out, sort of, we we have compared to the previous owners of this farm, we have about a nine hundred percent increase in the amount of electricity that we uh, use. And there's about a four hundred. We electrified everything in our house, which includes the you know the gas hot water, the diesel underfloor heating that the the house came with. Um, and we had about a four hundred percent increase in electricity use in our household by basically defossilizing the house. Um, and the rest of it's come from, you know, the previous farmer uh, ran everything on diesel um, and we converted everything to electric and put sort of a much more high intensity, you know, growing system or, or farming system in place, which uses a lot more energy. So about a 900% increase, which to anyone on the supply side of en uh, energy sounds incredibly scary until I also am able to tell them that we actually had a 5% decrease in the amount of um, electricity that we took, uh, that we take during peak compared to our pre the previous farmer. And that's just by doing things smart, by storing power in our batteries, by making sure that we don't take power from the grid during peak periods. Um, so ultimately, I've been able to massively expand the amount of electricity that I've used, and arguably we could say that no more poles and wires were required in order for me to achieve that. And so my big thing at the moment is, you know, I think the customer does have the ability to be smart. I think the customer um, with the right incentives does have the ability to not only shift load, but also feedback um, to the grid 
um, and if the market was available for for the customer to respond like that, um, you know, there might not, might not be a need to, I guess, uh, invest so heavily in yeah. the distribution Ma- market, and transmission but, network. Market, but also on. some pretty fancy kits to make two way more realistic uh, and for instant kind of. Um, decision making if you like automated decision making the other big yeah, question yeah well I did it with I sorry I did it with 20 lines of python code you know like it's yeah. not actually as complex as people make it out to be um, it's just at the moment there's not really an incentive for the customer to be involved um, and that's hopefully something that will change with time speaking of incentives just finally there's some big up costs a big upfront costs on this I think the monarch electric tractor by the time you buy the US dollars and shipping uh, I think they put it at close to 200,000 all up um, and you know that's a that's a big piece of kit, but but those investments can and do happen on farm or on orchard. Um, yeah, so it's not it's it's not quite two hundred thousand. It's um the sticker price for the monarchs eighty nine thousand USD, which is what one hundred and twenty thousand New Zealand dollars. Uh, the issue was is because there's no shipment options yeah. to New Zealand. I had to take possession of it in California um, and ship it over ourselves, which was about a twenty five thousand yeah. dollars shipping fee. So. Yeah, it was about one hundred and forty grand all up, and then we got forty six thousand dollars from Eka as a grant, um, which really obviously helped bring it down to, um, you know, a price that we could afford. And at a time we're losing some of those incentives potentially, um, I, I'm, I'm sure there will be an argument as to whether they are required or whether, in fact, businesses making big investment decisions should just look at this as an option on its own merit. You, you mentioned the quad bike. I don't think there's an electric option of that left, and there's so many, so many um, safety issues surrounding the quad bike. Any anything would be needed to got to get right. Uh, Toyota, I think, just fronting up with electric Ute just in the last few days, though. So. This kit is beginning to appear for at least some purposes uh, and at least on some um, productive um, businesses. In fact, you would say you, you're doing most of it. It's, you know, the model is there. The, the model is there and the economics stacks up. So I think the most exciting thing about New Zealand, and it's often quite hard to get excited about, um, you know, what's happening uh, in the climate space in particular, but the most exciting thing about New Zealand is our the economics probably stacks up here better than it does in any other country because our fossil fuels are so expensive and our highly renewable grid makes relatively our electricity you know, quite cheap. And so we're probably at a point now, or if not now, very soon, where in most cases the lifetime cost of an electric machine is cheaper than the lifetime cost of a fossil fuel machine. And so really the economics are starting to get to, get to the point where we will start to see a rapid acceleration in the adoption of electric technology, not necessarily because of decarbonisation, but mainly for, for the economics of it. And uh, that is, 15% super quickly, if you would, Mike, just super that 15% premium, is that directly attributable to the uh, decarbonisation project? Was that the market rewarding you for that? Yeah, so I mean, essentially, we measured that through our partners up in Auckland supermarkets. That's very fresh. Um, we uh, put our cherries out in our consumer brand, which is called NZ Zero, um, and we put them on the shelves next to um, uh, cherries that I guess you know were just grown in the traditional way with traditional energy. And yeah, we received basically a fifteen percent premium at the till, and we sort of calculated that premium by. Uh, you know, doing a number of different price trials and roughly working out that we were able to sell the same amount of cherries as the incumbent cherry providers uh, at about a 15% premium. We were shipping the same the same number of cherries. So that's sort of how we came to that conclusion. Okay. The interesting thing, of course, is that, you know, we, we spend all the capital on farm 
Um, but, you know, when you talk about 15% of the till, there's a number of people along the way that will, um, you know, obviously take take uh, a share of that premium as well. So the ultimate goal will be figure out how to get that consumer premium all the way back to the farmer. To the grower. Actually, Good one. Um, Thank yeah, you, to Mike. the grower. Thanks exactly so much. Right. Mike Casey.